Once upon a time, with these four simple words, generations of readers and listeners alike have been transported to a timeless realm where reality doesn't exist and magic reigns supreme. When the fairy tale first appeared in the 17th century in France, it proved to be quite a sensation, though the original target audience was, in fact, adults, namely within the literary and linguistic spheres. Its originator was a man named Charles Perrault, and his mammoth tome, Histoire ou Contes du Temps Passé, Stories or Tales from Times Past, published in 1697, introduced such stories as Puss in Boots, Bluebeard, and Cinderella to the world at large. Over a century later, in the opening decades of the 19th century in Germany, Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm, fired by the Romanticist movement that was sweeping across Europe, set about compiling their own collection of fairy tales by gathering legends and folklore from throughout the German-speaking world, culminating in seven massive volumes known collectively as Kinder und Hausmärchen, literally children's and household tales, better known colloquially as the Grimm's fairy tales. Unlike Perrault's stories, these weren't original to the siblings, but nonetheless proved to be quite popular with the public. Meanwhile, in Denmark, Hans Christian Andersen hopped on the proverbial bandwagon with his own brand of fairy tales. These, like Perrault's, were original, though he looked to the annals of Danish folklore and mythology for inspiration. In the years since these authors' passings, they've come to be known as the trifecta of the fairy tale genre, and when one takes into consideration the stories they laid down on paper, it's easy to see why. The rich tales remain enduring, even appealing for their seemingly simple narratives, which reveal universal truths about humanity. But what began as a revival of the European storytelling tradition has, in fact, become embedded within the world literary canon as a whole, receiving new life through the likes of Walt Disney Pictures' beloved animated film adaptations. Who can honestly say that they haven't at least seen or heard a version of Snow White, The Little Mermaid, or Sleeping Beauty? It's important to note that from the onset, however, Charles Perrault, the Brothers Grimm, and Hans Christian Andersen weren't the only ones composing fairy tales at this exciting time for European literature. I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at the life and work of a forgotten folklorist who deserves, just as much as the previous three, to be placed within the Western as well as international literary canon, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Since this is a story that revolves around fairy tales, I think it best to employ those four self-same transportive words now to begin. Once upon a time, in the city of Regensburg in the state of Bavaria in southeast Germany, a major discovery was made. It was 2009 to be exact, and Erika Eichenzer, a writer and leading authority of the folklore of the upper Palatinate region of the country, of which Bavaria is a part, happened upon some 30 boxes of important documents in the labyrinthine Regensburg Municipal Archive. But these boxes didn't contain documents in the traditional sense, but some 500 fairy tales, each of which had been gathered by one Franz Xaver von Schoenwert, a sort of local hero known primarily within Bavaria. It was said that much like his contemporaries, the Brothers Grimm, he too had gone about collecting folklore, albeit solely from his native upper Palatinate. The only problem was that the stories he had gathered had disappeared somewhere along the line and had long been thought lost. This monumental discovery, which Eichenzer herself later likened to, quote, buried treasure, unquote, could mean a whole new chapter in the history of the fairy tale genre. But what of the man who'd gathered the stories? Who was he, and what was his background? Franz Xaver von Schoenwert was born on July 16, 1810, in the town of Amberg in Bavaria, which is located about halfway between the cities of Regensburg and Bayreuth. The first of five children, he was enrolled at the nearby Erasmus Gymnasium in 1821, and attended university eleven years later, first at the Munich Academy of Art, where he studied architecture, and, in 1834, at the University of Munich, where he'd ultimately pursue a legal career. Upon graduating, he became a high-level civil servant, working first for Crown Prince Maximilian of Bavaria, then in the Bavarian Finance Ministry. 
With such educational and professional backgrounds as these, it's surprising, then, that Schoenwert would ever develop an interest in folklore and literature. But he ultimately did, and, incidentally, he had a book to thank for it. In 1835, a friend gifted him a copy of the Grimm brothers' scholarly treatise, Deutsche Mythologie, German Mythology. While not as well known as their collection of fairy tales, it still proved to be quite a highly influential work, namely within the German-speaking world at the time. Not only did Schoenwert read it from cover to cover, but he devoured it in one sitting. No sooner had he finished it did he announce to friends and colleagues that he would be undertaking a major side project of gathering and compiling stories from throughout his native Bavaria. Perhaps not surprisingly, given the line of work in which he was then involved, few took him seriously. Besides, Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm had already succeeded in collecting folktales from across the German-speaking parts of Europe as a whole. Why focus solely on Bavaria? With this initial reaction, Schoenwert was discouraged and put the idea on the proverbial back burner. Luckily for posterity, however, he would return to it, albeit nearly twenty years later. Two decades is indeed a great deal of time for an idea to fester and germinate. In that time, Schoenwert quickly rose through the ranks, becoming part of the administration of Upper Bavaria in 1840. Five years later, he became the private secretary to the crown prince, and was ultimately tasked with managing the monarch's personal finances. When Maximilian became king in 1848, Schoenwert was appointed the head of his royal cabinet, and, in the early 1850s, was bestowed with two official titles within the Bavarian financial sector. All the while, however, his idea of preserving the Bavarian oral and folk traditions continued to take root like a seed in fertile soil. By 1854, he'd begun questioning those in his immediate circle, i.e. his wife, housekeeper, and neighbors, all of whom were native Bavarians like him, for information on stories they'd heard in childhood and had related to their children in turn. But he didn't limit it to just this handful of people, and it soon became clear that he, quote, did not have an easy task, unquote. Thus, that same year, he issued a standardized questionnaire to people across the Upper Palatinate, the results from which he chronicled in a volume three years later in 1857. Over the next two years, he'd published two more volumes, with the completed work being titled Aus der Oberpfalz, Sitten und Sagen, from the Upper Palatinate, Customs and Legends. This work, though quite comprehensive, was met with a decidedly deafening silence from the world of German literary scholarship. Still, Schoenwert was undeterred by this, and in 1860 and 1861, he embarked on several personal folklore-gathering expeditions throughout Bavaria. It was these particular ventures that proved to be quite successful for Schoenwert. Part of his success is attributed to the fact that he could communicate and relate to those he interviewed by speaking the local dialect, known as Bavarian, which is, in fact, an entirely separate language from German. In this way, he endeared himself to the largely peasant class of people he encountered, receiving their valuable folklore, customs, and even traditional costumes in exchange for simple goods like cigars, coffee, and tea leaves, things that would otherwise be unaffordable or unattainable to them. Word soon traveled far and wide of Schoenwert's expedition, and it wasn't long before news of them reached the Brothers Grimm themselves. Needless to say, they were quite impressed, a fact that must have tickled Schoenwert to no end. Jakob Grimm later wrote in a newspaper article that, quote, Nowhere in the whole of Germany has anyone collected more circumspectly, more completely, or leaving so few traces, unquote. In fact, Schoenwert's approach and tactics were so good that they became the standard for gathering folklore as the practice became more commonplace throughout Europe. It soon developed into something altogether scientific, and it's thanks in large part to this humble Bavarian civil servant. In those productive two years, Schoenwert gathered together legends, nursery rhymes, fairy tales, proverbs, children's songs, and other important customs from throughout the Upper Palatinate. It was, however, the fairy tales he'd collected that were of particular interest to those of the public who were curious to learn more about this ancient historic region. Even his idols, the Brothers Grimm, wrote emphatically to friends and colleagues about how he'd be the perfect candidate for continuing their work following their passing. 
But alas, it wasn't to be. The stories Schoenwert collected were left unpublished at the time of his own death on May 24, 1886, and they soon disappeared altogether, all 500 of which were hidden away within the Regensburg Municipal Archive. There they sat, untouched and forgotten, for well over a century, until Erika Eichenzer herself sought them out in 2009 after years of searching. As to be expected, the discovery created quite a stir within the world of literature, particularly in the fairy tale genre. Wasting no time, Eichenzer compiled several of the more fantastic stories into a single manuscript, and wasted no time in contacting Penguin Books upon its completion three years later, in 2012. But much like Schoenwert had trouble convincing his contemporaries of the importance of his own work, she had quite the undertaking convincing Penguin's editors of the merit of the tales. Ultimately, however, her efforts paid off, and in 2015, the book was published under the engaging title of The Turnip Princess and Other Newly Discovered Fairy Tales. This time, unlike the publication of Schoenwert's to Oberfaltz, the response from the public was loud and enthusiastic. At long last, he'd had his happily ever after, if you'll pardon the fairy tale pun. What separates these stories from other fairy tales, particularly those of Perrault, the Brothers Grimm and Andersen in particular, according to Eichenzer and other scholars, is that Schoenwert wasn't interested in changing or adapting them to make them more literary, quote-unquote. Whereas his contemporaries either wrote their own fairy tales or changed those they collected to appear more like a cohesive, organic text, he was solely interested in laying them down exactly as they were, so as to retain the flavor and zest of the originals. The German edition of the text, for example, is written in the Upper Palatinate dialect of German, and there's even a copy in the Bavarian language itself. In this regard, Schoenwert was truly an outlier within the genre, and both the stories he compiled as well as the way he went about collecting them set him apart from his more famous colleagues. But now that he has been rescued and resuscitated from the ravages of time, perhaps he too can enjoy the same level of fame and renown. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed learning about this oft-forgotten folklorist. I don't know what it is, but there's something about this time of year that makes me want to revisit childhood stories, namely the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, and now Franz Xaver von Schoenwert. Maybe it's because the cooler temperatures encourage me to snuggle up all nice and cozy with a good book, and fill me with nostalgia for my past. Regardless, it's a practice I enjoy each year around this time. If you like this episode and the others leading up to it, and would like to support the podcast to ensure continued content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, where you'll find three monthly support plans that fit any budget. Listening and sharing also help out immensely, so please do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in again next week for a comprehensive look at a Parisian riot which rocked France in the middle of a war, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time. Thank you.